welcome today. Uh, we're going to have an awesome time as we share the word of the Lord together. And today I want to bring to your attention something that is very important that we find in the word of God, the theme of the Bible. And by the way, the theme of all scripture, that is the Old Testament and the New Testament, is one man and that is the Christ Jesus. So everything that you find in the Old Testament, it is speaking prophetically about the coming of the Messiah and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what you then find in the New Testament is the revelation of the Christ uh, and his life, his ministry here on earth. So every time when you're reading the Bible, it is very important uh, for you to be able to see the Christ in Scripture because he is the theme of the entire Bible. Now the Bible says in the book of uh, Romans chapter number 5, Romans chapter number 5, if we can just quickly go there, verse number 12 uh, through to verse number 19, I'm going to read. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense men, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man. Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteousness, or one man's act of righteousness, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now as we read the word of God, it is important for us to note that a lot of things that we find, they work as pairs. You are introduced to the first Adam and introduced to the last Adam. You're also introduced to the old covenant uh, and also you have the new covenant. There is the first natural bath, that is the first bath which is natural, and you also see the spiritual bath uh, which is the new bath. And you also find the righteousness according to the law which is our own righteousness and you find as well the righteousness of Christ. So you see that the things that we find in scripture, they are sort of moving as, as pairs. And if we understand how this principle works, it will be easy for us to understand what we mean when we begin to talk about the grace of God. If we have the full understanding that these things work together as pairs, then it will become easy for us to get the whole concept of salvation and what God is bringing about in his word. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 21. We're going to start with the pair, the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam and the last Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, the Bible says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For since by man came death, now, this is re in reference to the man, Adam. And the Bible says, By man also came the resurrection of the dead. And this man that you find there is the Christ Jesus. 
First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 44 to 49 makes it very clear. It says, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. He became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And we have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Right, so the Bible here is expressing uh, the existence of the first Adam and also the existence of the last Adam. And it says the first man and he then says the second man. So you've got the first Adam, who is Adam, that you find in the book of Genesis chapter number 2. And you find the last Adam, who is the Christ. By saying the last Adam, you know, God is expressing to us that there is not going to be any other who is going to come after him. He is the last Adam, he is the last one that is there, and there will not be any other that will come. And the book says the first man right the bible says when god created man in the garden the first man that we are introduced as a part of the creation of god is adam and the bible regards him as the first man and it then goes on to say the second man right the first man the second man but look there were billions of people that were created thereafter right there were billions of people who came there were children of uh, of adam that came after adam was created but the Bible is not regarding those as, you know, the second, the third. It was actually going to say, you know, the first man, Adam, then the second man or the second person, Eve. And then the, the third one, Cain, then the other one, Abel. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says the first man, Adam, and the second man came from heaven. And this second man is Jesus the Christ. Now, there's something that is very important that we need to, 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 to see here. There are two orders that are being presented to us. There is the order of the first Adam and there is the order of the second Adam. So the first Adam sinned, who is the first man he sinned. And as he uh, reproduced according to the command of God, which says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he reproduced in his sinful state. Now, there's something that is amazing that you need to check there, that you need to see. The devil came to attack Adam before reproduction. Before Adam lay with his wife Eve and reproduced, that's when the devil came and he attacked. Why? Because the devil does not want you to produce in your state of righteousness. The devil always wants you to reproduce in a fallen state. He doesn't mind you reproducing. He doesn't mind you multiplying. As long as you are multiplying out of the garden, as long as you are multiplying out of the presence of the Lord, as long as you are multiplying in a sinful state, right? So, as a child of God, uh, you need to be very, very careful that in your multipli multiplication, in, in, in your growth, you are growing within the confinements of the Word of God and within the confinements of that which God has desired for you before the foundation of the ages. So all those people who were then who then came, they were reproduced in Adam's fallen state. So they all fall under the first order, which is the order of the first man. They fall under the order of the first man. So it's the one brand. So there is the Adam brand and there is the brand of the last Adam, which is the brand of Jesus. So everybody who is now being reproduced from Abel to Cain to, you know, the millions and the, and, and the, you know, millions of people and the billions of people that came before Jesus, all those people, they were falling 
under the bracket and under the brand of the first Adam. Now, you need to take note of something that we saw in the book of um, in the book of Romans. It says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Right? Sin entered through how many people? One man. Not, not, not a million. Not Adam and Eve. Sin entered because of one man. Actually, Adam, the name Adam simply means mankind. So the Bible does not say sin entered through Adam and Eve. The Bible says sin entered through one man and that one man is the first Adam. Right? Who is the first man? And it says, and death through sin, which means death is a product or a byproduct of sin. When sin entered, death entered. When sin entered, sickness entered. When sin entered, you know, destruction entered. When sin entered, every negative thing entered the world. It was all because of the sin of one man. And it says, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, why, why is the Bible saying all sinned? Yet the book says, because sin ended because of one man. And now it's saying, because all sinned. Are you seeing this? When God created Adam, all of us were in Adam. All of us as mankind were in Adam. All of us were in Adam. So when Adam failed, we all failed. We did not fail because we were present and we participated actively in the failure and in the sin of Adam. No, we failed and we sinned because we were positioned in Adam. So it was because of our position in Adam that we sinned. It was because of our position in Adam that we sinned. And this is very important. What makes this important is when you then switch a thousand years, a, a, quite a number of years after that, then you see the Christ coming. And the same principle has to apply. If it was through one man that sin entered the world and death by sin, then the same truth must apply to the last Adam. Right? The same truth must apply to the last Adam. Then it says, verse 15, Romans chapter number uh, 5, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Are you seeing the same principle? Now we have got the last Adam. It applies the same. It is because of the righteousness of one man that every person is then supposed to be made righteous. Now, this, this becomes very difficult for the religious people to swallow. You know, it, it becomes very complicated for the religious people to swallow. Why? Because we want to actively participate in our righteousness, yet we did not actively participate in our sin. You seeing that? We were not present, although we were present, when Adam sinned. Even when Jesus Christ you know, lived a when, when he lived the life of righteousness, when he died on the cross, paid all our sins for all our sins and washed them away, we were not present, but we were in him, right? We were in him, therefore the same principle applies, right? Death came through one man, even so righteousness came through one man. Then Romans chapter 5, 17 to 19, he then says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men one act of sin led to the condemnation of all men 
right? We all say we were all born sinners. We, we, we all, you know, came through. David actually makes it very clear and says, my, my mother bore me in sin. We were born in sin. We believe that. No one is trained to live a sinful life. No child is coached to be a sinner. It is in us that we sin because sin was transferred through our bloodline from Adam to the whole human race. And now Paul is making it clear through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, Even so, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. One act, not, not one act plus your effort. One act of righteousness. One act by one man, by the last Adam. Is, is, is this getting clear? One man, one man's act of sin led to death and condemnation for all of us. And in the same way, with the same principle, with the same order, one man's righteousness will lead or leads to the justification of all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is the beauty of the message of grace. The beauty is that Jesus Christ paid the price. He lived the life. And because he paid the price, lived the life. And what are we to do? We are only supposed to accept that life that he lived and accept the work that he did on the cross and accept, you know, uh, all the payment that he made for our sins. And by simply accepting that, in faith, we are made righteous. Not because we have done righteous acts, but because we have accepted the righteous one. So sin, you become a sinner because you are, you are in the one who sinned, right? If, you know, all of us, I'm sure we agree that if a sinner today, one who is not born again, one who does not know the Lord, you know, begins to do awesome acts, you know, supports the needy, gives food to the hungry, and, you know, cover the nakedness of the people and, you know, defends the weak and, and does all sorts of nice stuff. We all believe and we all know that those nice good acts cannot make them righteous and cannot make them get into heaven. Why? Because they are not believers in Christ. They don't believe in the Christ, but they're doing good acts. So we, we certainly believe that the good acts do not get any person into heaven. But it is only when one believes in the Christ, as the Bible says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through the Christ. We believe that. We believe that no matter how many wonderful and awesome acts of righteousness that you perform will make you righteous. And now it follows in the same, in, in the same direction. It follows in the same vein and in the same order that also when we become born again, it, it, it's not about the amount of things that you do wrong that can undo your righteousness and undo your salvation. It is your belief in the Christ. Well, well, I, I know that, you know, when, when I speak like this and I share the word like this, you know, certain things, they bounce back, especially when you begin to talk about righteousness. When you talk about sin, we all believe that it cannot. Your righteous acts, your good acts cannot make you righteous if you don't believe in the Christ. And what, has, what, what makes us believe that the moment that you are born again, your, your being born again need to be sustained by good works in order for you to go to heaven. Because the Bible says it was through one man's act of righteousness that all of us have been made right. And there, the famous question, always the question that is asked when people teach about the message of grace. And this is the question. So shall we remain in sin so that grace may abound? Are you saying we should continue to live the way we want to live? Are you saying that we should just continue uh, you know, to be reckless? You know, because there is grace and it is about the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't matter what I do. Uh, is it what you're saying? After Paul taught the message of grace, Romans chapter number 5. 
and he spoke about this, he was followed by the same question. Romans chapter number 6. So shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And I love his response. He says, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Right? How shall we? Look, what we are talking here about is you have a new nature. You have the righteousness of Christ in you. There is no way you can continue in sin. There is no way you can find pleasure in sin. If you find pleasure in sin after you are born again, if you find pleasure in sin after you are justified by faith, it certainly means that probably you were not even justified by faith. You were not even, uh, you know, you don't even have the righteousness of God in you. Because if you have the righteousness of God in you, there is no way you can continue in sin. Why? Because how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It is impossible, right? It is impossible. We are born again. We are children of God. And we live a life that shows the righteousness that we already have and that we possess in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, He made him sin who knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Right? So we say there are two people, uh, which are two orders, the first Adam and the last Adam. And the second pair that we want to look at now, it is the pair of our righteousness and his righteousness. Our righteousness and Christ's righteousness our righteousness and Christ's righteousness Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 the Bible says but we all like unclean but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags all our righteousness they're like filthy rags before the Lord so whatever that we call acts of righteousness that is coming from us that is coming from ourselves the bible says it is like filthy rags before the lord there is no amount of good works that you and me can do that can qualify us for life eternal there is no amount of good works that you and me can do that can qualify us you know for um, you know for heaven there is no amount of good works that can earn us god's favor not even one single work that will do so all our righteousness, what we call the amazing stuff that we do, the Bible says it's like filthy rags before the Lord. Because the act may be good, but the motive may be wrong, and it makes it filthy before the Lord. Jeremiah says, A heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It is only God who sees the heart, who discerns the heart. That is exactly what you find in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the emphasis was on the act. Live well, act well, don't commit adultery, don't be, you know, you only be stoned not for the state of your heart because nobody knew the state of your heart. You only be stoned for the action and the act that you would do. But the Bible says, all oh, that you may, you may, you may uh, not sleep with a person in the physical, but as long as there is lust in your heart, then according to God, it is sin. And he says, so whatever you're calling the righteous act there, it is like filthy rags before, before me, before the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says, And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Are you seeing the two righteousnesses? The one is my own righteousness which is from the law so in other words my righteousness is derived from my doing right my righteousness is derived from me following every 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 commandment that is there i do not murder because the law says so i do not commit adultery because the law says so i do not do B a b c d and all i'm trying to do is for me to a attain righteousness the reason why i'm not doing all these things is so that i may attain righteousness but it says but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which is from god by faith 
So are you saying an Old Testament believer, an Old Testament person was trying to do a whole lot of stuff in order for him to be righteous? But a New Testament believer doesn't have all that weight on his shoulder. A New Testament believer is made righteous by God and by faith. And because he is made righteous, he lives right. Old Testament, you needed to live right in order for you to be called righteous. In the New Testament, you are made righteous. And because you are made righteous, you live right. So the reason why I do not commit adultery, it is not because I want to be righteous. I do not commit adultery because I am righteous. The reason why I don't steal, I'm not stealing, not because uh, I want to attain some level of righteousness and acceptance by the Lord. I'm already accepted in the beloved. I have the righteousness of God in me and righteous people don't steal. So it is where we are coming from that, that, that becomes the huge difference. The law, every person was trying to be, but under grace we are already and we live out what we are by faith and we live what we are as we have received the gift of grace isaiah chapter number 54 verse 19 it says i'm talking about the righteousness of christ which is a gift of grace that we receive by faith it says in righteousness you shall be established you shall be far from oppression for you shall not fear and from terror for it shall not come near you. So we are only established where? In righteousness. So after Isaiah prophesied about this, in righteousness you shall be established, then he makes, very, he makes it very clear what righteousness is talking about. Verse 17, he says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rise against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the sons of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Right? The King James Version says, Their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Their righteousness is of me, which means the righteousness that we are talking about is coming from me as a gift. So the reason why there is not going to be any weapon that is fashioned against you that shall prosper, it is not because uh, you know, of what you are doing, how orderly your walk is but it is because of the Christ, the righteousness of Christ that you have received by faith. So these are the two righteousnesses that we find. There is the righteousness after the law and there is the righteousness that is after the grace of God. And I want to say to you today, you may have been struggling. You have been working so hard in your life. You have been trying to produce the fruits of righteousness. You have labored, you have fasted, you have prayed, You've done a whole lot of stuff to try and get God's, God's attention, to try and get you know, God's acceptance, to try and get uh, God's approval, and to try and get the righteousness um, and, and be righteous. But I want you to know, quit trying and receive the gift of righteousness that we have received by faith. There is already righteousness that is a gift. There is already uh, righteousness that Christ has given us. And all you need to do is to believe, accept it, that it was through one man that sin entered the world, but also it was through one man that righteousness entered the world. And I choose the order of the Christ because it is the order that makes me righteous. Not because I've acted right, but because I have received his righteousness by faith. Romans chapter 10 Verse number three to four, the Bible says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Are you seeing this? Because they were ignorant of the righteousness of God, they started to seek to establish their own. How many times do we present our own righteousness before the Lord? 
How many times do we have, you know, the hundred things that we have done and we believe, you know, God, if you are to come through for me, you have to come through for me because I have prayed. You have to come through for me because I have fasted. You have to come through for me because I have given. You have to come through for me because I have done A, B, C, D. What are we doing? We are establishing our own righteousness. What are we doing? We are presenting before the Lord what he calls filthy rags. Instead of us coming to God, all the prayer is good. All the fasting is good. All the giving is good. But it is not there to have us, you know, score points that will then go before the Lord and says, you have to do it for me because of A, B, C, D. That's exactly what the Pharisee did. He went in his own righteousness and he said, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all. I do all these things. I'm not like this publican. And Jesus said, who went home justified? The truth was, the publican went home justified. Why? Because his cries were for mercy. Have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I need your righteousness. On my own, I'm not good enough. I cannot do it. Therefore, I do not seek to establish my own righteousness, which is a CV of good and a CV uh, of a good record that I've maintained, that I feel, look, because I've done A, B, C, D, Lord, you need to remember me. Then let me move on to the other pair, which is the first birth and the spiritual birth, which is the new birth. Now, this story is very interesting. Uh, you find it in the book of, of John, chapter number 3. You find it in the book of John, chapter number 3, and that is the story of, of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and he went to Jesus and says, Teacher, we know that you are a teacher from the Lord because no one can do all these signs unless God is with him. You know, uh, he says, we know that you are a teacher from God because no one can do these things unless God is with him. How does he approach Jesus? He approaches Jesus as a teacher. He is a Pharisee. He is a teacher of the law. But Jesus introduced this amazing thing to him that he never knew of, and that is the message that you have to be born again. It looks like Jesus is presenting yet another subject. It looks like he is coming and, you know, neglecting everything that, uh, you know, Nicodemus has brought forth on the table and he is focusing on new birth. You have to be born again. Why would you tell a man like Nicodemus that he needs to be born again? Here is the issue. Nicodemus being a Pharisee, he was a teacher of the law. He obeyed the law. People in the community, they held this man in high regard. They were the custodians of the law of Moses. They were people who were, who were sort of a standard of righteousness in their day. And now he comes to Jesus and Jesus says, look, if you are to see and enter into the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. This destroys every record of right and every, you know, every, every CV that Nicodemus has, everything that he has done well in his life, it's just being shattered and destroyed by this one statement, you have to be born again. Why do we say that? You would expect a situation where Jesus says, well, you have lived well. Just continue what you are doing and add Jesus to your life. But he doesn't say that. He says, whatever you've been building, it has to be put down because the foundation was wrong. You have to be born again. So salvation is not the continuation of your old life plus Jesus. Salvation is the beginning of a new life. Everything that you were doing before, your moral goodness, your moral acts, all the lovely stuff that you knew, all the lovely stuff that you did, the moment you come to Jesus, you need to leave all those things, put them down and be born again and have new birth. Now, this, imagine the message, it's going to the Samaritan woman. It's going to that woman who was caught also in the very act of adultery. And there is also Nicodemus who has been living amazingly and he has been living right. And God says, all of you, 
The Samaritan woman, you need to be born again. The woman caught in the very act of adultery, you need to be born again. Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, the guy who has been doing all the good stuff, who has been living a strict life, God says, same starting point. All of you have to start at the same place. No one is continuing the journey. Wow. That's amazing. But also, it's not just amazing. It's an attack to all the moral standards that these guys have been living, the Pharisees have been living on. It is a direct attack of all the years they've invested in following the law. And all of a sudden, someone says, we're all going back to square number one. We're starting afresh. That is what we call new birth. New birth is not adding Jesus to your life. New birth is starting your life with Jesus. So he says there was the first birth, which is your natural birth, right? Born after the will of a woman. But he says the new birth now is when you are born after the will of God. Not after the will of a woman, but after the will of God. So the old birth is that which falls under the order of the first Adam. It is that which falls under the order of our own righteousness. That is the natural birth. That is the first birth. But to be born again now, it is us receiving the goodness of the Christ and us coming to the Christ and have him receive us in his family. So, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. All your performances in the dustbin, all your academic record, because look, you've been doing awesome and excelling in the law of Moses. We have to put that down. All the things that you held in high regard before your encounter with Christ, we have to put it down. You have to start afresh. You have to be born again. It's not a continuation of your old life. So when one becomes born again, you are not continuing your life with Jesus. You are starting a new life. You have to see life through completely new lenses. Now, and Jesus continues to explain. Remember, he has come and says, teacher. But by the time Jesus gets to chapter number, uh, uh, verse number 15, let's just go there quickly. Uh, by the time he gets to verse number 15, he presents a completely different story. He has come and says, Rabbi, teacher. But now what does Jesus present to him? Jesus presents to him, to Nicodemus, the Savior, not the teacher. Verse 14, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Are you hearing, Nicodemus? You are addressing me as a teacher, but if you need salvation, you need to begin to see me as the Savior. I am the one that has to be lifted up. And when I'm lifted up, those who will look up to me, they will get their salvation. They will start afresh. It doesn't matter the poison. It doesn't matter how many times they were beaten. But if you believe, then you start afresh. So this is the new birth. This is the new birth. You need to be born again. Now, when you're talking about being born, there is um, little, if not, if not any, you know, participation from the child who is being born. All the, the pressure is with the mother who is carrying the baby. All the pain is with the mother who is carrying the baby. All the weight is what the mother carries for nine months. You know, during the time of labor, blood comes out. There's a lot of labor pains that the mother goes through. A lot of, you know, a lot of sorrow during that particular time. A lot of pressure during that particular time. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is simply saying, when we come to new birth, it is me, the Christ, who goes through all the pain. Not me plus you. Not mother plus baby. It is me, the Christ, who goes through the cross. 
It is me, the Christ, who goes through all the pain. It is me, the Christ, who goes through, who loses out, you know, who loses his blood. It is me, the Christ, who has to bear the labor pains. And that's how it's supposed to be. No participation, Nicodemus. Why? So that your boasting will only be in me and not in what you have done. John 16 verse 21 gives us the very good picture about a mother who is giving birth. It says, A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her soul, because her hour has come. But as soon as she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Are you seeing this? Jesus went through all the pain, deserted by the Father, bore the pain, bore our sins. What was he doing? He wanted to usher a new dispensation, a dispensation of grace to us so that we may experience that new birth. And when we experience that new birth, we know for sure that all these things we did not, it was not his pain plus my pain, but it was only his pain that brought my justification and that brought my salvation. Romans chapter 3, verse number 21 to 28, it says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith, in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe i think what is what is presented here is belief it is experienced through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe not to all who work hard not to all who do amazing stuff but to all who believe for there is no difference for there is no difference for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace, that's freely, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously commi committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and be the justifier of the one who is faith in Jesus. Faith, not one who works hard. Faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. There is no amount of work that you have to do in order for you to be born again. You have to believe. There is no amount of work that you have to do in order for you to be righteous. You have to believe. The one who has been made the righteousness of God, and that is the Christ. You have to believe the one who came, died, and was buried, and rose up again on the third day. That's all we need to do. We need to simply believe the finished work of the cross. And when we believe the finished work of the cross, what happens to us? We begin to experience the newness of life. We experience the newness of life. Right? And the last thing that I'm going to talk about now is the last pair, which is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You see, so we touched on the first man and the last man. That is the first Adam and the last Adam. And we touched on uh, two types of righteousness, our righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. And we touched on the first birth and the spiritual birth, which is us being born again when your spirit is regenerated and you're born again which means it is a change of root it is a change of root it's not the pruning 
of the already existing tree. It is not the watering of an already existing tree, but it is the change of root. It's a new tree altogether. New birth, ashes, new life. And that new life, it is in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, first, first John chapter 5, verse 11 to 12, the Bible says, uh, this is the testimony that we have, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son, Jesus Christ. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son, he does not have life. So the last one, the old covenant and the new covenant. So, in the book of Exodus, we are introduced to one mountain, which is the mountain of Sinai, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And there's the sprinkling of the blood and establishment of the Old Covenant, which is all the laws that Israel was supposed to do. In order for them to come to God, they were supposed to follow a certain order of laws. And also, there was a way of righteousness that God established under that law. If you have sinned as a family, you were supposed to bring once every year a goat, a sheep, to the high priest for the atonement of your sins. That was after the old order, the old order, the old covenant. You were supposed to bring it. That sheep or that goat was representing your family. It was representing your family and you would inspect the head of the family would choose one that is without spot, one that is without uh, any defilement, one that is without any defect, one that is perfect. And when the priest uh, uh, checks that, that sheep, that God, he would check the sheep, not the one who has brought the sheep. He would not check the family, he would check the sheep. And if the sheep is without blemish, is without spot, then that sheep will be sacrificed in place of the family, in place of the person who has brought it. That is after the old covenant. That is the covenant that God established with Moses and established with Israel. But now, a number of years later, John says, Behold the lamp of God that takes away the sin of the world. That which you found in the Old Testament as a shadow, the reality now is being revealed in the New Testament. And John is simply saying, this is the real lamp. This is the lamp that is supposed to take away the sin of the entire world. And Jesus lived his life during the time that he was on earth and he was without sin, living under the Old Testament he was without sin. He was without any blemish. He was without any fault. He lived and he became as perfect. As perfect as God was perfect. And the Bible then recounts that they took him as a lamp to the slaughter. He said no word. He didn't argue. He was without blemish. Introducing to us the new covenant introducing to us the new testament he was crucified for our sins not his because he did not have any sin he took all our sins and he gave us all his righteousness he is the one who introduced the new covenant the covenant of grace the covenant of his love and the covenant that he established between himself and his father. And as Jesus paid that price, he was transferring all that he was to us. As it was in the old covenant, when a family would lay their hands on that animal, and transfer all their sins on that animal that was without sin. Jesus did exactly the same. God transferred the sins of all humanity on his son. 
and give us the righteousness of Christ. The grace of God, it's not just a doctrine. It is the theme of the Bible. It is not just a teaching. It is a new life that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. And today I want to welcome you to this new life and that is the new life in Christ Jesus where we do not labor to be righteous where we rest in the righteousness of Christ and live after the order of righteousness the new order of life where we do not need to do no do anything to be accepted by the father but we need to accept what the Christ did for us on the cross as he took all our sins away he said father forgive them they do not know what they are doing he gave us his forgiveness he justified us and today in him we declare we are righteous in him we are holy in him we are sanctified in him we boldly approach the throne of grace to receive mercy in the time of need this is what christ accomplished for you and me and if you're not born again you need to start afresh and this time around on a new foundation a completely new birth the life of god being breathed in your life and quickening you Ezekiel made it clear as he prophesied that in those days I will put in you a new heart. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he gives you a new heart, a new life. And you need to be confident if you are born again, be confident that you are saved. Don't try and do stuff to impress God, he's already impressed with you. He already loves you. All you need to do is to rest in the finished work of the cross and boldly declare what Christ did and only him could have done it father i thank you in the name of jesus i give you praise thank you lord for the finished work of the cross and for the love that you showed to all of us and today we stand before you justified we stand before you sanctified and we stand before you holy not because we act right but because of the finished work of the cross and that is the work that we believe and that is the work that we have accepted and lord we thank you that in this our faith is established and in this our joy is made full in the knowledge that we are already accepted in the beloved and thank you lord for your life in our lives in jesus wonderful name amen praise the lord Amen. Amen. Amen.